your Bibles to Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8, please give your attention to God's holy word. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house, and into thy bedchamber, and upon thy bed, and into the house of thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thine ovens, and into thy kneading troughs. And the frog shall come up both on thee, and upon thy people, and upon all thy servants. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. And Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me, when shall I entreat for thee, and for thy servants, and for thy people, to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses, that they may remain in the river only? And he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from thee, and from thy houses, and from thy servants, and from thy people, they shall remain in the river only. And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the villages, and out of the fields. And they gathered them together upon heaps, and the lands stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart, and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod, and smote the dust of the earth. And it became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Else, if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thy houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground whereon they are. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, 
in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth, and I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. And the Lord did so, and there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh, and into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not meet so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he shall command us. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go, that ye may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only shall not go very far away. Entreat for me. Moses said, Behold, I go out from thee, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. But let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully any more in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. There remained not one. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Ascends the reading of God's holy word. This chapter continues the narration of the ten plagues upon Egypt. These plagues are brought on as a result of Pharaoh's refusal to let the people of Israel go to worship in the wilderness. In the previous chapter, we heard about the first plague, right, of converting the waters into blood. This chapter can be divided up into three parts, right? We have the plague of frogs, verse 1 through 15, the plague of lice, from verse 16 to 19, and the plague of flies, from verse 20 to 32. We'll begin by examining the plague of frogs. In verse 1, we have the Lord, right, in all caps, meaning Jehovah, telling Moses to return to Pharaoh with the same request to let the Lord's people go, that they may serve him in the wilderness. Pharaoh's refusal to let the people go is threatened by God with an overabundance of frogs everywhere. The frogs were to arise out of the river, get into the houses, into their bedrooms, up and in their beds, in their ovens, up and in all their cooking equipment, on all the people, and so on. Now, we're not told exactly what kind of frogs these are, uh, whether they were loud or quiet, poisonous or not. They're simply termed frogs. There is an overwhelming amount of them everywhere. We'll observe from this account, like the first plague, Pharaoh is warned, right? He's told exactly what should happen if he should refuse to let the people go. There'll be no question how he should, should interpret the cause of things. The cause is the Lord God Jehovah, the God of Moses and Aaron, the God of the Israelites, inflicting the land as a result of Pharaoh's obstinacy. Pharaoh was unyielding in a sense of control over the people of God in ways to keep them from doing what the Lord had required of them. You'll recall what Pharaoh said in chapter 5, verse 2. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And we could say, very well then, Pharaoh, right? You'll acknowledge the Lord the hard way. Note, 
right, that these frogs arise up and out of the river. We saw in the last chapter how the waters, including the river, turned into blood. And it caused the fish of the river to die and eliminated the people's ordinary source for daily water and use of the river, so that even Pharaoh came not to the waters as before. But now the waters are turned back from blood into water, and they should find use of it again, until Pharaoh refuses the second time, and frogs arise out of the river in abundance. The frogs make the river a foul place to use for the needs and washings of the people. In the first plague, they could dig around the river, right, around it and get a little bit of water. There's no way to get away from this infestation this time. Further, consider that the river in Egyptian paganism, as we heard earlier, had association in the minds of the people with various of their gods and ritual washings. But the river is corrupted, perhaps suggesting the impotency right, of the Egyptian deities and obstructing the ability of Pharaoh and the people to perform their ceremonial washings. But Pharaoh, who is the Lord, right, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? Well, he is the one at any moment that can turn all of your water to blood and can make the river to produce an infestation, right, of frogs to make you very uncomfortable. But he does not always do so, right? He's left a witness, as it says in Acts 14, of his goodness and mercy. He gives us rain from heaven, And fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and goodness. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? He is the one that has provided you good all this time. And can cause it in an instant to turn right against your comfort towards your misery. But why frogs? Was it simply the ick factor right, that some people have of them or is there more? Well, for one, consider as one commentator notes, the pride of Egypt is disturbed. Troubled and humbled in one day, not by some great army or military force, but by relatively small amphibians. Additionally, consider that the religious element of the frog to the Egyptians. We have reason to believe that frogs were not unknown to the Egyptians. It is suggested by many historical and archaeological findings that the Egyptians considered the frog sacred. In fact, one of their deities was of a frog-like figure, representing fruitfulness or blessing. And here again is another strike at the gods of the Egyptians, as though the Lord should say, these things which you attribute to your gods is bringing you so much comfort, so much blessing, good, power, and increase, I will make you to abhor them and show you the power of your gods which are no gods at all. I will make you know, Pharaoh, that there is none like unto the Lord, as he says in verse 10. Friends, consider that God can take that which you find comfort, pleasure, or peace in, and make it a nuisance to you. Whether it be food, drink, medicine, sleep, intimacy, friends, family, home, pets, entertainment, recreation, God can so trouble you by these in a way that no man can deliver you from. Beware of presumption. This is why... I may digress a little bit. In the fourth petition to the Lord's Prayer, which is, right, give us this day our daily bread, according to our larger catechism, we acknowledge that the outward blessings of this life are of themselves unable to sustain us, nor we to merit, or by our own industry to procure them. 
In it, we are taught to pray, waiting upon the providence of God from day to day in the use of lawful means, that he may of his free gift, and as to his fatherly wisdom shall seem best, grant to us to enjoy a competent portion of these outward blessings, and have the same continued and blessed unto us in our holy and comfortable use of them and contentment in them and be kept from all things that are contrary to our temporal support and comfort. In other words, our enjoyment of all external blessings is dependent upon the Lord making it to be so at every moment. We certainly have much to be thankful for at all times. In verse 6, Aaron will stretch out his hand with the rod over the river, and the frogs will come out. We'll observe that in some of these plagues, there's an outward action, right, or an object or sign associated with the plague that follows. And in some, there isn't. There's no object, sign, or action that precedes the miraculous activity, as in the plague of flies and the death of the frogs. This is to show that we're not to think, right, that the power of God is found in Aaron's rod, or the instrument and means of his working. You may recall what occurs later in Israel's history with a brazen serpent which the people who had been bitten by serpents looked upon and were thereby healed. In time, the people began to burn incense to it and King Hezekiah's later moved to break the brazen serpent in pieces because the estimation the people had put upon it that did not belong to it, but belonged to God. So we too must be careful. While we do not have much or such wonders commonly occurring before us, the temptation to confuse God's power with a particular ritual, right, a ceremony, an object, a preacher, even things that are lawful or means by which God has worked, we must not confuse them so as to think. The power is in them. It is in God. And He communicates that power as He pleases according to His word. We also see in verse 7 of our passage, the magicians, right? They're able to bring about additional frogs upon the land of Egypt, right? Observe, they're still at it, right? Still, still attempting to show forth their powers according to their deities. And God permits them. God permits them on this occasion as before with their respective rods turning to serpents. Here also God permits them to bring about additional frogs. Note, however, as it was mentioned earlier by licentiate Mr. Weilau, that they make conditions worse, not better. They can bring about additional frogs, they can turn water right into blood, but they can't remove it, they can't change it back. One has to ask, as it was asked earlier, did the people need their magicians to do this for them? Were they really helping them to bring about more frogs? No, they needed to show their power to do the reverse. As Matthew Henry aptly observes to the same effect, the design of the devil is only to delude his devotees and amuse them, not to do them any real kindness, but to keep them from doing a real kindness to themselves by repenting and returning to their God. So Pharaoh, realizing the inability of his magicians to remove the frogs, calls for Moses and Aaron and asks them to entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs. He seems here ready, right? gives evidence outwardly, at least, to Moses and Aaron's request to let the people of Israel go to worship the Lord, to which Moses asked, When? When should I entreat the Lord, and you will let the people go? Pharaoh responds, Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Not today, but tomorrow. I can wait another day. Why does Pharaoh delay? We might think perhaps he 
wanted to see if his magicians could devise another way to remove the frogs, or that the frogs, maybe they'll depart by themselves, or some other solution to keep him from having to let the people go. Perhaps it was a means to buy time to figure out a more desirable alternative for Pharaoh. Well, the text doesn't exactly say, but it does say he delayed. He felt it necessary to call Moses and Aaron to him and to have them ask God to remove the frogs. But it apparently wasn't bad enough to have him concede today to let the people go tomorrow. You can ask the Lord Jehovah to remove them. Remember what is said in the scriptures. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Take heed, brethren, exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The passage continues in verse 13. We see that the frogs that were a problem when they lived, they were also a problem when they died, causing a stink throughout the land. Their dead bodies being gathered together into the heaps out of the abundance of them. And when, as we expected, verse 15, Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Isaiah will say in chapter 26, verse 10, Let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. In Pharaoh's mind, the need for Jehovah is only so long as there is external unease that cannot be solved by his own powers and men. As soon as the problem is gone, he no longer needs the Lord Jehovah. The object of his ultimate desire is the perpetuity of these temporal gifts. But even in the church, we are tempted to do likewise. We are ready to amend many things when put upon some affliction, some distress or illness. We get a better glimpse and clearer perception of God, eternity, and our life but once delivered and we enjoy some level of normalcy, some measure of those comforts returning to us, those amendments and improvements we had resolved over when we were low suddenly become inconvenient. Suddenly, they don't seem so necessary or as important as we thought they were when we were in affliction. But Pharaoh's hardening, right, was no surprise. The text says at the end of verse 15, as the Lord had said, the Lord said it would happen in chapter 4, And in chapter 7, the Lord knows what is in Pharaoh. The Lord knows what is in you and the depths of your soul. And in response to this truth, Psalm 139 asks the Lord, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And let us likewise seek to the Lord that he may make known that which is contrary in us, and lead us in all the means of the way everlasting. Upon Pharaoh's refusal to let the people go, in verse 16, Aaron is directed to smite the dust of the land. As a result, lice should come forth from the dust. And so all the dust of the land became lice, as it says, throughout all the land of Egypt, upon all the people and upon all the beasts. Why lice? Certainly, They're unpleasant in a way that maybe frogs were not, as it seems to imply that these bugs stung, right? They bit uh, the host they were on. And like the frogs, God uses the smallest of creatures to trouble the people. Moreover, it is suggested by certain sources that the Egyptians, 
were very particular concerning their ideas of cleanliness in their religious places and rituals seeking to root our pest of all kinds. And yet now they should have them everywhere, unable to eliminate them. Arising from the dust and ground of Egypt, they also associated with a deity. These lice should come forth to pester the people. And their own magicians are unable to reproduce this wonder in verse 18, unlike the frogs. And we can learn from this that the powers of the devil and darkness are limited. They're limited. They cannot do more than God permits them. And for this, the magicians conclude in verse 19, this is the finger of God. Notice that the magicians are forced to concede that it's the finger, the work of God. The work of his hand. We cannot match it in any way. But in verse 19, instead of listening, Pharaoh's heart, it says, was hardened. And he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. Observe how the knowledge of God that the wicked magicians, even Pharaoh, had, does not serve to his spiritual profit or their spiritual profit. It is not profitable profitable to them for their salvation as it is for those whom God has given a new heart to respond in order to repent and turn to the Lord. But Pharaoh continues on as he was before, even with the plague of lice. In verse 20, Moses is told to meet Pharaoh as he comes to the water in what appears to be his daily routine and custom. Moses meets him with the same message, let my people go that they may serve me. Pharaoh is now threatened with a swarm of flies if he does not concede the request. This time it explicitly states in verse 22 that the plague should not affect the land of Goshen where the Israelites dwell. To the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. The Lord will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. There will be a division of the people to make life increasingly worse for the Egyptians and not the Israelites, to make it increasingly clear, if it had not been so already, that the Israelites were my people. They belonged to the Lord. They were not Pharaoh's. Christian, understand well, you may be a child, a wife, a husband, an employee, a citizen, and so on, whatsoever lawful human relation and station you bear in this life, You ultimately belong to the Lord. Your allegiance ultimately is to Him. And so sure enough, in our passage, Pharaoh does not concede and the land is filled with a swarm of flies. In verse 25, Pharaoh seems again to give way to Moses and Aaron's request. He calls for them. Ah, but even then he says, go and sacrifice to your God in the land. Moses replies in verse 26, It's not meet so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and will they not stone us? Understand by the abomination of the Egyptians, the animals which God would require the Israelites to sacrifice. It would be those animals that the Egyptians thought as sacred, right, in some way. And this would likely induce anger as they saw the Israelites sacrificing these animals which they thought sacred and perhaps caused a tumult and violence to break forth. But Moses in verse 27 restates the original command. We will go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice the Lord our God as he shall command us. Moses knows what the Lord commanded and he is sticking to it. 
He's not content to return to the Lord and tell him of the halfway bargain he was able to negotiate with Pharaoh. No, in matters concerning the Lord's command and obedience, Moses understood that to obey is better than sacrifice. In response to Moses, Pharaoh appears to concede again to let the people of Israel go according to the original request. <coughs> Moses warns him and not to deal deceitfully anymore as he had previously and to add that Moses says he will entreat for Pharaoh and the Egyptians not today but tomorrow. Pharaoh receives here the fruit of his own delays. The chapter closes with the flies being removed completely and as expected Pharaoh hardens his heart and would not let the people go. And that ends our time in Exodus chapter 8.